With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Millions of Screens, a new Irish TV industry focused podcast. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by TV awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. We're still abiding by California's shelter in place laws and social distancing. On today's episode, we'll be talking about some Star Wars news, uh, some more HBO Max hot gossip. We'll be talking about all the reviews that Ben Travers has had to submit over the course of the past, I don't know, week? I'm sorry. Like five days. Can I break in with a click, a potential clicker topic? I'm on the LA Times website. We're set. Are you sure? No, hit hit me. What is it? It's do testicles make men more vulnerable to the coronavirus? That's a headline from the LA Times. This is millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. Guys, Leslie Headland was hired by Disney to head up a Star Wars spinoff series. Uh, there's not a lot of other information to go off, but this was reported last week. I'm more curious if it has any effect on Russian Doll season two, because that's, I wait, I, can, I care so much more about Russian Doll's sequel than a Star Wars spinoff. Like you want it to happen, or? If it's going to happen, I'd rather Leslie Headland still be involved than well, sure. have it happen without her while she's off in Star Wars land, having her uh, creative control manipulated by Disney. Yay. Yeah. That's fair, but also, is there a part of you that really wants uh, Russian Doll Season 2? There is a part of me that really wants Russian Dolls really? too. Oh, absolutely. I am I'm the annoying Oh, you're that guy. Yeah, I'm the annoying defender of creatives who want to make sequels. It's like Well, what about if is... there's more than one creative and not both of them wanna do a sequel? I think that as a as a split. And then we'll just let history decide. Um but as long as the as long as the influence isn't purely monetary based, as long as it's not just somebody saying, I'm going to back up a cash truck. And if you do another one of these, then I'm usually pro people making sequels just because there's too many examples, especially in television of people saying, Hey, that's a bad idea. You should just stop. And then they do it anyway. And it's great. No, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I I feel like um, much like Marvel theoretically, Star Wars uh, has the opportunity to give um, visionary filmmakers a palette to get their work seen on a larger scale. But I think that Ben nailed the downside of that is that um, Disney as a whole has a tendency to really hamper that process and want what they want. And unless you are made of tougher stuff then you can get totally steamrolled by that yeah i mean what's the i'm not the expert here obviously but i feel like the history of creative-minded individuals who want to put their own spin on st- the star wars universe rarely goes well 
feel like those yeah. are mostly negative stories. Yeah, fair. So I have so little faith in this new effort. True, but also I'm not going to be necessarily against someone getting a dump trunk, dump truck full of money backed up to their house. I hope they get it and then they leave. I hope the truck doesn't hang around lingering, <laughs> honking its horn whenever it doesn't like something. So, Ben, last week we talked about HBO Max and what it is. And then after the fact, you were saying that you you feel like people are sort of down on HBO Max, even though I think all three of us are fans of a lot of the Warner media properties and what they have to offer. Uh, yeah, I feel like the, the pervading conversation surrounding HBO Max, which has kind of gone up and down over the last six months because so many other services have launched or so many other things have happened. So like it kind of fades in and out of what people are talking about. But the thing that stays current for me, or at least the consistent aspect that I keep seeing is just that people don't seem to have a lot of faith in its ability to compete with a lot of the other streamers out there. And even before HBO Max sent us a wonderful gift box full of <laughs> HBO <laughs> Warner goodies, uh, full disclosure. Transparency. I've been, I've been saying that this, that I've got a lot of faith in their ability to compete in, the, in these streaming wars. I feel like for as much as people complain that their new advertising campaign that stitches together, you know, uh, the Sopranos and Friends and Big Bang Theory by the Bada Bing Bang or whatever the fuck it is. I can't remember the, the slogans and how angry that seems to make people because they don't want to think about um, the Sopranos connected to the Big Bang Theory or probably Friends in any way, shape or form. That breadth of wanted programming and excellent library content deep long episodes of library content um should do them very well and i feel like a lot of them are easily identified with the brand overall and the fact that they can basically say we have all of hbo and we have all of the dc movies like that's that's largely enough to sucker in anybody before they start realizing everything else that they have to give and um Honestly, the fact that it's a $15 a month price tag is its biggest impediment, it seems like. But at the same time, um, a lot of the advantages in the streaming wars are for companies that have kind of a cell phone data cable attachment along with them, which AT&T, the owner of this whole thing, uh, absolutely does. So they can, they can get HBO Max to a lot of their pre-existing clients and kind of usher in uh, an early fan base that then they can expand from there. So I um, I don't get a lot of the negativity. I also don't get a lot of the confusion that seems to be around it, but I also could just be operating on a lot of assumptions. So we'll see. May, not 17th, May 27th? I don't remember. Yes, yes, yes believe so i you know i don't i don't really understand why people are so down on it either um i don't know it feels like it has the library i think the thing standing in its way right now is like um the thing about disney plus is that it was offering a bunch of stuff that wasn't necessarily available beforehand which is 
a lot of those Disney films and and all of that, the Marvel films, all in one place. HBO Max, things get a little dicier there. And and like you said, it's it's kind of hard to remember all of the things that they have, but for the money, I still feel like it's the best it's the best way to go and that for people who are interested in it, they're paying for it one way or another already. Um, so it's weird. I, I don't know I don't know why the antipathy towards it. Um I actually have not received a big box of goods yet from HBO Max, but I also haven't <laughs> checked our packages uh, this week. So uh, at least consider my opinion unbiased. I just, I feel like that, like you mentioned, the idea that people don't know everything that's on it is almost working in its favor or they're trying to make it work in its favor in their marketing in the sense that, you know, we have this, but did you also know we have this? There's always something extra as opposed to, no, 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 we don't have that. Sorry. I know you were thinking we did, but we didn't. Pretty much everything you might expect to be on there seems to be on there. So um, if not, you know, a bunch of weird random stuff as well. I mean, to boil it down to, and this might be oversimplification, but if Disney Plus was, hey, it's the Disney library is what you're buying here with HBO Max, even if you don't include all the other larger Warner sort of like properties whether it be looney tunes or or sesame street or whatever it's just like hey do you like these hbo shows cool now you, this is how you get them right i think if there's one thing i think if there's one thing hbo max needs to do and it's it just some advertising maybe the bada bada bing thing isn't working for it but like the way that disney plus was so so visually appealing to say it's disney plus marvel plus pixar plus nat geo plus the simpsons that was so simple as a visual representation of like you're getting these all of these six things and it's more difficult to do that with the hbo max properties because one that one of them is just hbo and there's a lot contained in that hbo bucket yeah well and also like their tv stuff doesn't lend to the same thing because so much of their library content was least was licensed out to different networks so people instinctively think of the big bang theory as being a cbs show so why isn't it on cbs all access people think of friends as an nbc show why isn't that on peacock um well it's because they're both owned by warner brothers tv in the end so that's why they're back at home on hbo max when hbo max debuts we're probably going to do revisit that uh streaming options uh no, for $40, here's what you can buy and see if our choices have changed because at that point, all the streaming options will have been debuted. All right, let's get to review of Palooza starring Ben T. Travers. Ben? Yeah, so it's happening, guys. Like, we're in it. This is the moment, much like the fall film season, the spring TV season is overloaded with content. We're seeing more premieres, more screeners, more everything in terms of television uh, because the Emmy deadline used to be May 31st and it's now June 30th, Libby? Is this what we got the push to? Yeah, but it's not that straightforward. We're entering into a, a place where if you already felt like there was too much TV to watch, if you were already struggling to kind of uh, filter all of the options in front of you, especially as you uh, shelter at home. Um, it's going to get worse. There's so much more. And this last week to like four days has exemplified as much for me because I've been reviewing way, 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 way too many shows and rotting my brain accordingly. So 
Um, first up, we're going to talk a little bit, very briefly, about Homeland, which has ended. Uh, the eight seasons, yes, eight seasons of Showtime's drama uh, came to a conclusion on Sunday. And um, before I tell you what I thought, Leo and Libby, based on this headline, series finale sticks to its guns and gives two spies a fitting send-off. What grade do you think that I gave the Homeland finale? Libby, you want to go? B plus. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say B plus also. You're both right on the money. That's yeah. a great Good My work, headlines must You did a good headline. Yes. Uh, and I should preface this by saying that because, again, there's too much television, Lydia and Leo haven't seen any of these. So uh, that's why I'm doing most of the talking. I'm so sorry about that. Oh, no, um, no. Well, you're also the TV critic. Of course, you're going to do most of the talking. These are about TV reviews. I mean, I feel very bad that I did not watch several things on this list that are already out, like Bad Education. Yeah, um, like, I mean, Homeland, let's be honest, if you're not keeping up, it's very hard to kind of watch that ending and get a good grasp on or appreciate kind of everything that it's built up to, especially because this ending, while it does provide closure for the series overall, was still mainly constructed around a season of television that has been functioning as kind of standalone seasons of television. So you would have had to understand a lot of a lot of what was uh, ahead of the last 12th, I think, episode of the season. So, um, but no, it was good. I'm, I'm glad I stuck with Homeland over the last few years. Um, I feel like it had more good seasons than bad seasons. And uh, I'm still regularly impressed by kind of the pivot it made from those uh, Brody years into more of a let's look at Carrie and, and her experience through the CIA as she takes on different challenges season after season. Um, but as Leo mentioned, Bad Education uh, is one that we actually reviewed out of TIFF. David Earl handled that when it premiered um, back in 2019. Um, and it's now obviously an HBO film. It will be submitted at the Emmys as best TV movie. Um, I will personally be rooting for it. I think you guys probably know what David gave it. I think we talked about this before, but do you remember? Did he no. give it an A minus? No, he gave it a B plus. Um, B plus, which is probably the Ben Travers equivalent of an A minus. So, um, did you yeah, give it an A minus? <laughs> I would, if I was reviewing it, I definitely would have. Um, <laughs> but what I focused on instead was just kind of talking about how this is this is based on a true story of a um, of a scam that was perpetrated back in two thousand and two. Well, over several years, but kind of culminating in two thousand two to two thousand four. Uh, where kind of a school in Long Island uh, was committing just incredible amounts of of, of thievery from their uh, from the parents and taxpayers of the county, um, and this focuses in on on kind of two of the primary participants, uh, led by Hugh Jackman, uh, who's great, also Allison Janney, who's always great, um, and it's a really good kind of story of a con artist and portrait of. You know, kind of what it's like to live that way and how they got away with it for as long as they did and then how they got caught. Like all of those elements of, of that genre of filmmaking are right there and they're done very well. But what surprised me was just how much it tackles um, our broken school system and illustrates not by giving Hugh Jackman's character an excuse to do what he did, but by explaining the motivation for that, that 
a lot of people could identify with. Which I thought was a very smart way for the director, Corey Finley, and writer Mike Mikowski, who was a student at this high school when the scandal broke, to tackle the subject and to keep it kind of topical and, and um, make it a little bit better even for home viewing. Like it was one of those things where HBO spent $20 million to get the rights of this. And, uh, you know, that's a rather, it's becoming more common, but it's still an unexpected pathway for a lot of movies that premiere at festivals, especially ones that are going after or were presumably going after Oscars. Um, but this really did feel like it was more meaningful to have it at home and be as accessible as possible right off the bat while all the buzz was at its peak. So uh, I hope a lot of people get a chance to watch it. And we know, as a segue, that a lot of people are watching something else this weekend, every weekend for the for the next, what, two more weekends? Three more weekends? Including you two? Yes! Yes, 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 we are. That was a very good segue. Leo, I'm obsessed with The Last Dance. As am I. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to look up the ratings to see what the ratings in The Last Dance are. The first episode's above 9 million. So the second Is that night. Time had, shifted? Yeah, time shifted 9.23 million for. That was the first, the first weekend. Right. 9.23 saw it the first weekend. Uh, on Sunday. And I think this is just on the night, a total of 5.9 million viewers. That is an astonishing hold from week to week, I think, because I think the original, the the live ratings during its first week was like 6.1. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe uh, that may not be accurate. So to- no, you're, you're right. Uh, the first the first week, first week, 6.3 was the debut episode and 5.8 was the second episode. So essentially nearly held. What do you think? What's appealing to you about The Last Dance personally? Uh, I mean, I think nostalgia is a huge factor in this, even though I hate, hate, hate the Chicago Bulls teams of the 90s because I grew up a Knicks fan. Oh, Um, sorry. (laughs) uh, Yeah, there's been there's there's been like small snippets of like the Knicks getting housed in like some of the the clip montages. And I'm excited for more of that uh, to relive (laughs) some of the the worst basketball sports moments of my childhood what 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 are you taking away from it libby it's it's huge nostalgia for me um and i'm not a person who actually enjoys nostalgia for nostalgia's sake but there's something about sports nostalgia that that really gets me growing up in south dakota it was hard to sort of have an nba team and my family had kind of defaulted to the bulls something we talked about before i think because of the prevalence of like wgn they were watching the Bulls. I, I think my older siblings were watching the Bulls from the time that they picked up Jordan. And so because of my age, I came I I, I came of age during those those run up years to the championships. And like we would rearrange our vacations so we could listen to games at night or watch games at night, like during in, in June. Um for for finals. So it's very it's very comforting and familiar to me. Like during this time, um, during that like rough decade, like seventy percent of my television time was spent just like watching Sports Center, and um, there is just something. All of the beats are familiar. Um, I'm shocked at like the things that I remember, but also the things that I don't. And it's just another way to communicate with with family. Like I'm old. I live in Los Angeles. I am very far from the life I grew up leading, but 
watching this 10 hours of television dedicated to something that was such a major portion of my life is um, the, the, the most comforting thing that I could, I could ask for in the midst of a, you know, once in a lifetime quarantine. Hopefully, I do love your point lifetime. about the about kind of the appointment television aspect of it and how valuable that was from a sports watching standpoint. Um, I definitely don't feel that. I haven't felt that since like the Cubs were making their World Series run. Um, and even though I was a Celtics fan growing up, uh, it, it was the same way for the Bulls games just because so many people around me were invested in it. It was very easy for me to get invested and feel like, well, I have to watch this to feel part of something bigger. And it seems like The Last Dance is filling that void pretty well for everybody. Um, even though, honestly, you know, I don't know what the big deal is about. <laughs> they won six titles. Uh, the Celtics have won 17, and Bill Russell won 11 <laughs> all by himself. Like, what are we talking about here? This is, a, this is barely half yeah. of that. And the Knicks won two? <laughs> but those were all before TV was invented, right? Hey, Phil Jackson was on those Knicks teams. Well, Ben, we kind of got sidetracked in a big last dance discussion because it's the only thing that Libby and I have watched. Tell us about normal people. All right, I'm going to give you the headline and you're going to tell me the grade. A. Oh, Libby already got it. She knows it. I've been ranting about normal people far too much, obviously, uh, even though one could say it's still not enough because I'm sure there's people who still are thinking, hey, I don't need to watch the show. And you know what? You do. It's great. I love it. Libby raises her hand. <laughs> yeah, I um, I'm absolutely the the sucker for this kind of thing. I really love kind of uh, self serious teen slash young slash any romance uh, shows, and this one is one of those kind of. I'm going to tell this over an extended period of time, but in very specific, significant beats, so that it it knows how to break up the story and pull them apart and examine the, the couple as individuals. And at the same time, when they come together, it's incredibly exciting and rewarding. And you learn so much more about them as a couple and each of them as an individual. And as someone who really enjoyed the novel, I thought that was a, it was a great retelling. Sally Rooney uh, co-wrote the series um, and the direction from Lenny Abramson is just magnificent it's all set in ireland there's all these beautiful countrysides and great costumes and it's one of those things where i think once you fall into it it's very hard to pull yourself back out and if you don't then you know i can understand it but at the same time uh, i really hope this one gets some recognition and um i think it'll be i think it'll be a with no stars i think it'll be a harder sell when it comes time for the emmys but i'd, I'd love to see it make some sort of dent but it does seem pretty universally beloved, um, wouldn't you there's say? Some, like, there's there's some critics who are uh, speaking out against it. Uh, Inku Kang at at Hollywood Reporter had a pretty scathing review that came out today. Sonia Soraya for Vanity Fair also had a, a really great review that we talked a little bit about. Um, that again, like I can see a lot of these points, and then at other times. Um, it's just like we're watching two different things. And usually when that happens, it means everybody's right as long as, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that you're obviously coming to this story from a very different place than Inku and, and, and Sonia. And, and I think that's one of the things that is keeping me apart from it too, is that I know I have my own baggage about stuff that it's talking about. And I, I just, I don't know that I can 
I can separate myself enough from it enough to like get really psyched to watch. Although like I totally trust your opinion and and um it sounds like it's it's really unlike a lot else on television and and you know I love a good limited series, but I just don't know if I'm gonna get there because Leo, why might not I why might I not get time to get to normal people? Because you'll be too busy watching Hollywood. <laughs> There's too much TV, Leo. Jesus. <laughs> That's what I meant. There's That's too much the TV. I thought you were setting me up for a segue. And I was like, uh, well, normal people, I think, comes out today. Today, when the podcast comes out today, Wednesday. You were correct. Uh, and I think Hollywood comes out Friday. So you have time to watch all of it. Libby, if you really wanted to make time, you could watch them all. I would also just. Thanks, Leo. Time. That's really helpful. <laughs> The um, the the two common uh, commonalities between those programs, by the way, are two of my favorite things about each of them. Um, in that normal people is twelve episodes, but told in half hour increments. Oh, and what some the of them fuck? are like what what? No yeah. one told me that. Yes, it's very important. It's in my review, but I know you don't read, so it's okay. You don't read what I read, so it's okay. I, I like don't reading read reviews of things I haven't seen. Also understandable. <laughs> But, um, but a lot of those episodes, they don't even, it's not like they're pushing past 30 minutes because it's still a drama. Some of them are 20 or 21 minutes long. So it's a very concisely told story. And again, like the, the, the episodes themselves are so well, well constructed individually because they're about this one thing and they end. So they have their own individual arc and that's how they want to break up the story so that each moment has the proper impact. Um, and then with Ryan Murphy's Netflix series, Hollywood, the first under his massive overall deal with the streaming giant, um, I was honestly stunned to Wait. learn that one, it's seven episodes long, and two, uh, none of those episodes are over an hour. The average runtime is about 49 minutes, and um, it's not great. There is... Uh, a lot of wish fulfillment going on and the focus is so much on just creating this fantasy that didn't happen out of uh, 1940s Hollywood and um, that, it, that it just loses track of, of what it could be saying about today. Uh, but there's still a lot sounds, of great performances. So It sounds like you're somewhere in between a, like a B minus and a C plus. <laughs> yeah that's just based yeah. that's just based on what you're on you just spitballing talking about the show that's just what I, the sense i'm getting good maybe i mean this is just going to show that i should probably do more video reviews than written reviews if if we're taking anything away from this but um but no it's i mean hollywood is one of those things where i think if you hear what it's about and want to watch it you're going to find things that you enjoy and you're going to watch it and it'll be over and done with if you are skeptical at all about anything that Ryan Murphy's done in the past, you're going to see those holes here a lot. Um, but at least it's it's not overindulgent from a time standpoint. <laughs> like, at least he didn't take that Netflix money and budget and everything. He sunk it all into the right things, which was, you know, uh, production design, costumes, hair and makeup, staging. Um, there's a few things that they, like, they, they rebuild the H and the Hollywood sign within this like within a studio and it, the way they shoot it is actually pretty breathtaking. So um, there's aspects of it that people like, but Hollywood is one where uh, it seems almost too perfectly designed 
trying to be both a crowd pleaser and an awards juggernaut that it doesn't really work for either. So so maybe from one Netflix show to another, and these are separated, I think, by a full week in terms of their release. What about the Eddie? All right, so the Eddie, Damien Chazelle crafts a musical pressure cooker and stirring family drama for Netflix. B plus. Musical pressure cooker. That could be, okay, I'll say B. It's a B plus. It was like Dang inches it. away from an A minus. Um, the yeah, Eddie's I, great. It was very, it was a very A minus headline, but I was like, <laughs> the Eddie is, is in many ways just the opposite of Hollywood and that it's trying to be kind of a, um, like a, a, a extremely French, like it's got, it's, it's told mostly in French. They go in and out of French and English while the, like the characters themselves are speaking. So like, you can't even kind of, you, there's no way to watch that as a background show. There's no way to do a second screen as the Eddie. You have to completely invest in what it is. Otherwise you're just going to be lost. Um, but it's about a, about a, a, a formerly famous jazz musician played by Andre Holland who moves to Paris after his son dies and tries to start a jazz club there uh, to kind of reboot himself and bring him back into the, into the world of living again. And um, for as, as hard and, dark as that premise sounds and for as kind of gritty as they shoot the show um it's a very easy thing to fall into and it is um a very beautiful kind of uh, uh ensemble piece because they do str- they use andre's character as kind of the guiding point throughout the whole thing but they really want to get to everybody and give them their due whereas hollywood is an ensemble thing but it's kind of just like you're here you exist to serve this one function go do that. And then we're going to leave you alone and go back to this next thing. Um, but the Eddie's great. I really like the Eddie. <laughs> I think, I think it's going to have a hard time, but I think, I, I don't think there's a ton of people who want to watch eight hours. And this one's long. The first two episodes are over 60 minutes. I think they're 69 and 67. Um, Damien Chazelle directed both of them. So of course they're longer. He's the filmmaker doing it, but um but yeah, I, I I just, it's one of those where if you do take to it, you're going to wish there was more. And it's a limited series, but it should there should be more. Same as Normal People. Normal People is originally designed as a series, and then they altered it into a limited series. Um, but there's an opportunity to come back. The Eddie was always designed as a limited series. I haven't heard any talk of them making more, but the way it ends absolutely sets it up like a TV show that could keep going. So... All right. Well, should we move on to our new recurring segment? Yes, I think so. Gentlemen, yes. I have a question for you. Yes. Is Quibi dead yet? <laughs> uh, no. No. Definitively not dead yet. Millions of screens, the production of the Penske Media Corporation, IndieWire, our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video Bjork talking about our TV and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson, our publisher is James Israel, and our executive editor is Ann Donahue. Our favorite college mascots are I'm not doing that bit. You can find us on Twitter at a million screens, at Midwest Spitfire, at Ben T. Travers, and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, so please leave a review and let us know what you think. If it's good, we might read it on air. And if it's bad, we'll try our best to delete it from the internet. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo Remind you, as always, that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs> Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.